You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, happy Juneteenth, plus one. We've been celebrating. Uh, we had uh, some focus on that subject yesterday in our men's group, and uh, Juneteenth is now a national holiday. It's a privilege to, to have that, and uh, we're celebrating Juneteenth today and uh, during this weekend. Coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, my wife is reading a fascinating biography now of a, a godly American man uh, whom you may have heard of who um, was a great advocate for civil rights, uh, even before that was popular and on the, on the horizon, on our, on our screens as much as it is today. And uh, he was a man who um, uh, accepted the Lord in an early age, strong, com- strong commitment to Christ, uh, born again man, and a man of character, a man of courage, a very, a very gentle, humble, soft-spoken man, and who also happened to be a president of the United States. And uh, he was one of two presidents, only two, who were assassinated while in office and died in office. So maybe you're uh, zeroing in on him. Uh, if, if you guess Abraham Lincoln, you're wrong. Uh, it was President James Garfield. And Garfield, an amazing man of God, didn't want to be president. He was kind of a compromised candidate. He, what he really loved was gardening. And uh, he wanted to get out of the White House so he could back, get back to gardening. Uh, tragically, he was uh, shot and assassinated after only four months in office. But before that, he, was, he brought a godliness and a character to the White House, and uh, he was a strong advocate for civil rights. He was well, well loved in the white community and in the black community and did a lot. So I've been thinking about him also on Juneteenth as we uh, celebrate uh, the uh, civil rights in our country. So. Don't want to just talk about James Garfield, a couple of other things on my mind today, and I'm opening my Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So if you have a Bible, please open it to Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, the 30th chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to be reading a couple of verses there. Two other passages we're all going to, also going to turn to. Just to warn you, you're going to have to flip some pages uh, with me uh, this morning. <clears throat> also going to be in Joshua chapter 23 and in Judges chapter 2, but that's a little later. We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Appreciate the way the Lord speaks to us early in the service through members of his body. And uh, the Lord said to us a little earlier uh, in the service today, reminded us, uh, to trust in him with all our hearts and not lean on our, understa- on our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all our ways and he'll direct our paths. Because he said also that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts, and we need only to trust in him. So appreciate the word of the Lord through our brother and through others who make themselves available to share uh, early in the service. Speaking of great words from the Lord, uh, if you were here last Sunday, you know we heard, we heard a powerful message from Uh, Joshua's last address uh, before the Lord took him. It's in chapter 24. We won't be looking at chapter 24 today. But uh, as you know, Carl preached again another anointed message, uh, concluding for us the book of Joshua. And um, he talked about choices. And Carl said that our destiny to a large degree is determined by the choices that we make. Our, our, Our choices are significant. And Joshua reminds the children of Israel just before uh, his death 
uh, of God, how God had led them, uh, provided for them, fought for them, brought them into the promised land under his leadership, under Joshua's leadership. And also, Joshua sternly warned them against idolatry, against adopting the practices of the nations that were uh, in the land that had not yet been driven out. And um, Carl made that really personal, challenged us to think about idols in our lives. And uh, very few of us have uh, an image of Baal uh, in our bedroom or Asherah poles, the Asheroth spread around our homes. But yet we know before the Lord that we have idols. We have things that we love and worship that distract our attention from the Lord that sometimes we put before the Lord and that's an abomination to him and we need to kick those things out. And uh, one of the, one of the uh, powerful verses that, that Carl read last week, Dave actually read, I believe, to open the service today and it's Joshua 24, 14. You don't have to turn there, but in Joshua 24, 14, uh, this is what he says to the people. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served uh, beyond the river which are, which are in Egypt and serve the Lord. That was Carl's exhortation to us last week. And he also reminded us of what Jesus said about how it's impossible for a man to serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other and you can't serve God and mammon. So great foundation laid for us last week, uh, concluding the book of Joshua by our brother Carl. And I'm going to build in my own feeble little way uh, today a little bit, a lot actually, on, on the foundation that, that Carl laid for us last week. In our readings, as has been already mentioned, we've finished the book of Joshua now. We're, we're moving into the book of Judges. We're going forward with the children of Israel into the promised land. So I decided to go backwards. Uh, to, the, to the book of Deuteronomy, because I always kind of have a, do things backwards. And uh, so I wanted to read from Deuteronomy chapter 30 with you. The principles that the Lord lays down for the children of Israel and for his people in the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, are not forgotten. In fact, they're uh, the, the guideline and the framework upon which God's dealings with, uh, with the children of Israel throughout history as we moved into the historical books and even into the New Testament uh, times. Uh, Jesus, as you know, uh, referred heavily to Deuteronomy and other books of the, co- of the Old Covenant and, and the Pentateuch. The Apostle Paul did also. They informed the New Testament writers. And just as they, as they informed the, the lives of the believers in the, tw- in the first century, they should inform our lives in the 21st. God's words are not wasted. He said a lot of things to us uh, through, through Deuteronomy, through Joshua, through Judges. God's teachings and the, the principles, the, the statutes, the ordinances of his word are weaved together to form a, a magnificent tapestry, a beautiful uh, picture. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the artwork that it's called tapestry. Uh, it's a little bit of an ancient art form. Uh, tapestries are huge wall hangings made of, of, of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of threads that are woven together. Typically, they, they depict great heraldic events, uh, events in history and in legend. If you, if you want to look at some beautiful tapestries, just walk down to the end of the, uh, the parkway, the Ben Franklin Parkway, to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And if you go up the steps uh, all around the atrium on the second floor are some beautiful, old, uh, majestic tapestries. And we've kind of forgotten about that art form. But there's a way in which the teachings of scripture and the principles of God's word are like a tapestry, 
there are many, many truths that are woven together. Uh, sometimes a gold thread appears here and then occurs later in another place. And the one, um, one thread that I wanted to mention particularly today is a principle uh, that's called, and, and many of you are familiar with this, the law or the principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. And perhaps articulated the most clearly by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, uh, around verse 7. And uh, this is what he says. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. Paul says, the one who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit shall from the spirit reap eternal life. That's a golden thread that's woven through the teaching of the scriptures to us. Our deeds have consequences. Carl was emphasizing this really powerfully last week. God has constructed his universe in such a way that there's a moral framework into which mankind fits and the decisions and the choices that we make are significant, highly significant. The principle of sowing and reaping in Galatians uh, chapter 6 is primarily refers to the individual. Whatever a person sows or a man sows, that will he also reap. The exact same principle can be applied uh, specifically and, and equally easily to a nation. Like, for example, the nation of Israel. God's servant, God's chosen one. And uh, we, we, we've seen in Deuteronomy, we're seeing, we read in Joshua, we'll be seeing as we go through the book of Judges, the outworking of the principle of the law of sowing and reaping in the nation of Israel. And I'd, I'd like to read the three passages, but starting with Deuteronomy 30. And if you will, as we read in Deuteronomy 30, I'd like you to try to hold in the back of your mind two questions, if you can try to do this. The first question is this, how did Israel sow? And what did they reap? The second question, how am I sowing in my life today, Lord? What will my harvest be? I want to start the, about the middle of uh, the 30th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord says to the people, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where, the, where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Remember Carl talking last week uh, out of, Deut out of uh, Joshua 24 about the stone of witness that heard all the words of the testimony? I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, Moses says. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. God's plan, very straightforward. 
His instructions to the, the, the children of Israel are very clear, crystal clear, how he wants them to live. And they have a choice, to love the Lord or to turn aside to idols. Couldn't possibly be more clear. The testing ground, the proving ground, where they're going to work out the choices that they make is the promised land, the Transjordan, the area that they're crossing over the Jordan to possess. And we see, we saw in Joshua, we'll see in the book of Judges how they did, uh, how they did and how they kept the commandments or not. I'd like to ask you to turn with me, if you will, to Joshua chapter 23. We're going to, Carl got us into Joshua chapter 24 last week, so I'm going to flip back. And also another uh, address of Joshua to the children of Israel toward the very end of his life and ministry, but a little earlier than what we read last week in chapter 24. But this is uh, Joshua chapter 23. Again, we're going to start kind of uh, into the chapter, not right at the very beginning. But Joshua starts here uh, in one of his final addresses to Israel by summarizing, again, how God had led them, a, a, a little history lesson. It's always good to start with some history, some background, what, now, what they now call the backstory. Um, and uh, he said, God drove out the nations before you. He fought for you. Um, he cleared the way for you. It was he who was leading you into the promised land. And after the history, after the summary of what God had done, then comes the charge, then comes the command, what God expects of us now. And it's in verse, starting in verse 6. You with me, Joshua chapter 23, verse 6. Be very firm then, and keep and do all that is written in the law of the book of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord your God, so, as, you have, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong uh, nations from before you. And as for you, no, one, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord, is, your God, is he who fights for you, just as he promised you. So take diligent heed, verse 11, uh, to yourselves to love the Lord your God, for if you ever turn back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them so that you uh, associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out these nations from before you, but they will be a, a snare and a trap to you, and a whip on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off the good land which the Lord your God has given you. Like the passage we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and the one we'll be reading in Judges as well, very clear choice. Which is it going to be? Are you going to obey the Lord and love him? Or are you going to fall into the trap? The graphic language that he uses in verse 13 of, of Joshua chapter 23 can you imagine getting your, your leg caught in a bear trap and not being able to get free? Having someone whipping you on the sides, on your flanks. Having thorns being put into your eyes. That's what it's like. God's warnings are really forceful. They're really graphic. Sometimes I wish he'd go a little easier on us. Let me ask you a question. 
Is it possible to hear a really stern, serious warning and decide to ignore it, decide to neglect it? A number of years ago in Glacier National Park in Montana, this is a true story, uh, there was one particular trail, hiking trail, with a lot of bear activity, uh, a lot of um, possible high probability of bear being attacked by a bear. And the rangers closed the trail, and they erected a large barrier over the trailhead so that it would be, they thought, impossible for anyone to hike and encounter that danger. You probably can guess what happened. A couple of hikers decided they weren't afraid of bears. So, you know, it was a beautiful sunny day, and they climbed over the barrier and, and had, a, had a, a wonderful hike. At least it started out that way. And I guess you could probably predict what happened. One of them was lightly mauled by bears and the other one was almost killed uh, by bears. Believe it or not, they sued the Park Service uh, because they said that the barrier was too easy to climb over. Is that dumb or what? I mean, how could people be so stupid? How could they how could they be so blind and ignore such crystal clear warnings? This brings us to Judges chapter 2. Love it if you would turn with me in your Bible to the second chapter of Judges. I think Carl touched on these passages last week also. So, By the way, if you heard Carl's message last week, this will just be a sleeper for you because I'm just uh, hitting some of the same points. Judges chapter 2. Is it possible to ignore really obvious warnings. Uh, Judges chapter 2 records the death of, of the servant of the, of the Lord, Joshua. And uh, it also gives a, little, a, a couple more of his final words. Uh, but in Judges chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 6, it said, When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel, went each to his, to his, to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua who had seen all the, good, all the great work which the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 8, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died and at the age of 110. Pretty good. You could call that a ripe old age. So the children of Israel, they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the elders that survived Joshua. So I guess it was pretty much clear sailing from then, right? They kept walking in God's ways and obeying him and the rest of the book of Judges is, you know, pretty much all glory and victory, right? Verse 11, Josh, Judges chapter 2, verse 11. Then the sons of Israel, the evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples which were around them. And they bowed themselves down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord, and they served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of the plunderers, those who plundered them. And, and he said to them, and, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. The result of disobedience, of ignoring the clear warnings of the Lord, defeat, bondage. God's not mocked. 
Whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Galatians chapter 6. So begins this horrible, vicious cycle that carries us through the book of Judges. The story of repeated failure and sin and repentance and going back. The vicious cycle, verse 16. Let's keep reading it. Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered the people from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, uh, the Lord was with the judge, and he delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by the groaning and because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. God is a God of mercy and pity, isn't he? Verse 16, but it came about that when the judge died, that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. That phrase says it all, their stubborn ways. The vicious cycle. They cry to God for mercy. He raises up a judge who delivers them. The judge dies. They turn back to their sins, their stubborn ways. What was wrong with these people? How could they have been so morally blind? How could they have been so stupid and keep falling into the same sin over and over again? I, it's hard to even think of a, a group of people that's as, as stubborn and, and willful and rebellious as sin, and sinful as they were, except for us today uh, in the 21st century and in our culture and in our civilization. It's so easy for us to point the finger at others when we ourselves are also an off, often in a vicious cycle. There's a lifestyle pattern that repeats. You can see it in an individual. You can see it in a nation. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, Joshua chapter 23, Judges chapter 2, we see this pattern repeating. It starts by an invitation from the Lord to come and to have fellowship with him, like the one in, that we read in Deuteronomy 30, where he says, come, um, uh, turn, love the Lord, uh, walk in his ways, keep his commandments and his judgments, and choose life. God gives an open invitation to those who will hear. There's often a quick response of love and obedience and sin of saying yes. Uh, the people said to Joshua, yes, we will serve and follow the Lord. And so uh, there's a quick response of, of fellowship and obedience and love. Then there's a period of turning aside, following the idols of the nations around us. We do that. Carl made it really personal last week. He said, you know, you probably don't have an image of Baal in your house, but the Holy Spirit has revealed to you probably already the idols in your, li in your life, the things that you put before the Lord, the things that distract your attention from, from, from serving the Lord and worshiping him only, worshiping him alone. I remember Carl saying uh, something last week about um, Jesus doesn't want to be just one of a number of gods in your life, you know. There are, there's a syncretic approach to religion where you say, well, I'll just add one more God, you know. And So, you know, I have a lot of interests in my life, you know. I, and Jesus is one of them. No, he wants to be the only, the only one, the only God to have, for us to have no idols. So the people turn aside to idols, as we read, and 
uh, in Judges chapter 2 already. Um, the result is death. Moses makes it really clear in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, he says, um, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish when your heart turns away and you do not obey the Lord. Spiritual death. Then there's another cycle of um, returning to the Lord and, and getting rid of, of idols for a while and casting them down and clinging to the Lord. Um, look at, look at uh, Joshua 23 again, please. Um, the particular couple of verses there that I wanted to look at. Joshua chapter 23, he talks about not associating with the nations. Now looking at verse 7, Joshua 23, 7, he says, not mentioning the names of their gods, not making anyone swear by them. In verse 8, Joshua 23, 8, but you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. I love the verb to cling. Do you know what it means to, to adhere, to stick yourself to someone so close that you can't be torn apart? You know, I, um, when in the book of Ruth, which we'll be reading not too long from now, um, Naomi sends her daughter and daughters-in-law back, and, and Ruth refuses to leave, and she clings to Naomi, and she said, don't ask me to leave. Don't send me away. I want to be where you are. Clinging is something that the Lord wants up for us. He expects of us. He wants it in our relationship with him. Cling to the Lord. He also contrasts it with clinging to the idols of the nations around them instead of clinging to the Lord. When I think of clinging, there's a particular image that often comes to my mind, and I, I think I've shared this with you before. Sorry that I sometimes repeat myself, but um, when I think of clinging, uh, I think of spider monkeys, uh, and these are amazing creatures that live uh, in the canopy of the rainforest in Central America, and um, they're, they're, they're long, skinny, but strong monkeys that, that live their lives in the canopy. And uh, spider monkeys are incredible because you're, you're looking up at them and uh, there may be a troop all around you over your head. And uh, all of a sudden one of them gives a signal and they all move out and they move with lightning-like speed through the canopy. They have five things to grab on with. They've got, they can grab with their hands, with their feet, and with their prehensile tails. And uh, you're, it's astounding because you're looking up at these spider monkeys and then all of a sudden they vanish into thick air, and they're gone. But the thing that's really cool when you're looking up at these spider monkeys sometimes is that you see a, a, a mom with a baby, and the babies cling on to their moms. They hang on real close, so close that, that they can probably feel the mom's heartbeat, and uh, maybe that says something about us clinging to the Lord. Can we feel his heart? Um, but um, there's a good reason why they cling on, and that is that when the moms take off with the rest of the troop, they, gotta use, they can't hold on anymore. They can't cradle their babies. If the baby's not clinging on, it's a long way down to fall to the forest floor. And that's the way the Lord describes our relationship with him. He wants us to cling to him, Joshua 23, verse 8. Something else I wanted to mention in the previous verse, in verse 7 of Joshua 23. He says, um, I don't want you to associate with these nations which remain among you or mention the name of their gods. Look, it's not enough to not worship their gods. Don't even mention their names. Don't talk about them. I don't want to hear their names mentioned. That's what the Lord says. And, you know, I don't know whether we do that. We have a sort of a morbid fascination. It's part of human nature with, with evil and with uh, pain and seeing 
uh, hearing about bad things, and we like juicy gossip, when, which makes people look bad. There's a multi-billion dollar industry in this country called horror movies, and uh, really disgusting, sadistic movies that people go, uh, because there's a fascination with watching people suffer. You know, it's, I think it's, it's revolting, but uh, it's talking about evil, giving attention to evil. And, you know, I think sometimes even Christians do that. You like to talk about the devil a lot? I, uh, I think that Paul is clear that we need to not be ignorant of his devices. Uh, we need to know and acknowledge that he's a roaring lion. But I don't want to talk about the devil all the time. Sometimes people, I get the impression that some Christians, the way they talk about the devil, they think he's equal with God, and it's, they're kind of battling it out, and the outcome is not yet clear, but that's not true. The devil is, uh, is a pipsqueak, and uh, he, um, he's more than, nothing more than a pawn on the chessboard for, of God's purposes. So don't talk about the devil all the time. Let's talk about, about the Lord. Not, let's not mention the names of their gods. And, you know, um, this principle is also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. In Ephesians 5, 3, the apostle says, Don't let Im immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you, as is fitting among saints, but rather the giving of thanks. Let's not talk about immoral, impure, greedy things like serving mammon, trying to get rich instead of serving Jesus. Don't even talk about that stuff. That's not fitting for saints. Anyway, back to the cycle. So after, um, after clinging to the Lord, the people again forsake the Lord, return to evil, and um, they go back. It says that they did even worse than their fathers did uh, in Judges. Uh, the, the Apostle Peter talks about this principle of returning again and again to the same sin. In 2 Peter 2.22, you might want to look that up later, or if you, if you take notes, jot that down. Second Peter two twenty two, um, he talks. About, he says, going back to the same sin over and over again is like a, a sow, after having been cleaned, going back and wallowing again in the mire, or like a dog eating its own vomit. Pretty disgusting. You know, if if you if you're looking for a a lovely. Uh, attractive, charming book to read, don't read the Bible. The Bible's got some really disgusting stuff in it. And the reason is that sin is really vile. It's disgusting. And the Lord is very real. He shows us what life is like and what the consequences of our sin is, what, what they are, and the consequences, like Carl said, of the choices that we make. And he doesn't want to hide those things from us. If you're going back and doing the same sin over and over again, it's like eating puke. That's what God's word says. And uh, he's pretty, pretty graphic about it. From this low point of degradation, where, whether it's the nation of Israel or a particular individual, or if you look at a society or a civilization like 21st century Western culture, um, where do we go from here? I think there's a, there, there's a crossroads. You can see it in an individual's life, in a, in a culture, in a society. You gotta, you gotta turn either to the left or to the right. You can't go straight and just keep going in the same direction. You've got a choice to make. And turning to the left is the path that leads to final judgment and oppression. Um, he talks about it in Joshua chapter 23, uh, verses 12 and 13. Joshua chapter 23, 12. He says, if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, 
Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out the nations from before you. They will become a snare and a trap to you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. That's, that's what it's like. That's what judgment and oppression turns out to be. There is another path. You don't have to keep going downward. You can turn upward. You can take the, the course uh, that's toward genuine repentance. A nation can, an individual can. The course that leads to freedom, the course that leads to life. The choice that, that, that um, the Lord offers to them in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and he holds it out very clearly. Uh, he says, choose life. Uh, this is uh, 30:19. Choose life that you may live, you and your descendants, by doing three things, loving the Lord your God, this is verse 20 of Deuteronomy 30, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days. That's the other choice that the Lord gives us. Which is it going to be? The choice is ours. There is one catch that it's very important that we realize. There's more to living a righteous life than just making the right choice. Permanent victory and real deep, genuine, long-lasting deliverance from sin and from the vicious cycle of repeating the same sins over and over again is not found by an act of the will. It's not found by turning over a new leaf, by choosing to do right. I've done that before. It doesn't work. I keep going back. I keep slipping back into sin. Permanent victory and deliverance is found only in one place, and that is at the cross of Jesus Christ. And with the power of his Holy Spirit, that is where true victory lies. It's not by an act of the human will. It's by the power of the Spirit of God at the cross of Jesus Christ. We've been reading uh, through, jo through Joshua and Judges. I don't think it's a coincidence or by accident, the book that we read before those. Do you remember what book we read as a congregation before those? Could you turn with me to Romans for just a moment? Romans uh, chapter 8. We read Romans before uh, we read Joshua and Judges. Do you remember? Seems like a long time ago, but wasn't that long. Romans chapter 8. Hallelujah. Permanent deliverance, permanent victory. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the same cycle, this endless cycle of sin. You know, I, I keep doing the things I don't want to do, the things I want to do, I can't do them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, an endless struggle. And then the victory, the deliverance comes in chapter 8. Um, in chapter 8, he says that the law of the spirit of life, this is Romans 8, 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, um, God, God did, power, powerless as it was through the flesh. God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Remember Galatians, the passage that we started off with. 
sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit. Walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. Looking back, though, at the end of the previous chapter, Romans chapter 7, there's two vital principles that, that we have to grasp even before we get to Romans chapter 8 and the victory that's in Christ and in him alone. Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul cries out this wrenching cry from his heart. Wretched man that I am, who shall set me free from the body of this death? You know what? I'm wretched. I am hopeless. I am helpless. I can never set myself free. I cannot make myself righteous no matter how many times I turn over a new leaf or set my will to do what's right. I'm wretched. I'm hopeless. I am helpless. Right after that comes verse 25 where he says, Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's another phrase that he adds to that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you kind of merge the two together, this is 1 Corinthians 15 toward the end of the chapter. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I say. Thanks be to you, Lord. You give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's the only victory. Have you realized both of those things? Have you, have you realized how wretched you are? Or do you still think you're doing okay? How hopeless you are uh, to ever fulfill God's law. The, his laws, his principles that are unchanged uh, from, the, from the Pentateuch and from what we read in Deuteronomy, God still holds us to those standards today. He hasn't said, oh, forget about that. I don't care about that anymore. He still expects holiness, righteousness. We can't do it. The victory, thanks be to God, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. You, do you, have you grasped both of those things? Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. God isn't mocked. Whatever a person sows, whatever a nation sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you for reminding us earlier in the service today to um, lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge you in all our ways and reminding us that your ways and your thoughts are higher than ours. Thank you, Lord, especially for uh, the powerful word that we heard last Sunday um, from Joshua's final address and the challenge to serve you, the rem reminder of your history and what you did to deliver the children of Israel, Lord, and, and, and also the exhortation uh, to kick out those other gods. Lord, we don't want to serve, try to serve uh, you and mammon. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord, we sang earlier today, your grace is sufficient, your grace is enough for me, and uh, Lord, that's true. Lord, we just uh, thank you for your mercy, your mercy that falls like sweet spring rain and refreshes us. Lord, thank you for the, the, the conviction uh, of the principles of your word. Lord, help us to hold them inviolate. And yet, Lord, to continue to recognize that, Lord Jesus, you and you alone are our victory. 